scripture today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. I like a sheep, he, I like a, like a sheep, excuse me, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of our Lord. Thank you. You can have a seat. <clears throat> as Margaret has read for us, Acts 8, the last part of Acts 8 is where we're going to be today. Thank you. And we're going to jump in <clears throat> to see this maybe first ever call on a short-term mission trip was to um, Philip. It reminds me of the first international mission trip that I was ever um, to go on. I went about nine years, coming up on 10 years ago, to Haiti, a country that had at the time been devastated by an earthquake, and it was already a poor country, very, very poor and um, the earthquake had just, had just caused so much chaos in that country. And we went down there. And I remember when we got off the, the airplane, you, you get to the, the thing that brings your luggage around to you. And I believe it was wooden. And it seemed to only work part of the time. We then got in our van and we start down the road. And you get on this long straightaway of, of highway, if you want to call it that. It was, it was a little bit of asphalt and a little bit of dirt and a whole lot of potholes. And you're driving down through there. And um, you see to your right and to your left, you just see these little shacks that have been partially built, and that's what people are living in. And I remember getting to the, the end of the long straightaway there, and you look up on this hill, and there are these structures that are maybe enough room for one or two people, I would think, to be able to sleep in. And you have entire families that are sleeping in, in this. They, they called it Tent City because there were just so many along through there. And, and you see all of these people, and that is how they're living. Um, they would wait in line as I was a uh, part of the, the pharmacist team pretty much to count medicine. I, they would wait in line for hours just to get some ibuprofen. 
And then about five years later, I had the opportunity to go on a mission trip to Montreal, Canada, and we were partnering with a church up in Montreal. And in Montreal, we, um, we got there, and it was a totally different scenario. The first or second day, we were walking down the street doing a prayer walk before we are going to minister in that community. And to my left, parallel parked up just next to the street is a Ferrari, and right down the road or right down the street, parallel parked is a Lamborghini. And all you see are these nice, super, super expensive sports cars in this neighborhood. So on the one hand, you have Haiti that is uh, entirely, completely poor, one of the 10 poorest countries in the world at the time. And then you have Montreal where apparently you can just parallel park your Ferrari or Lamborghini. But there is one thing that was similar or one common denominator in both of these places. Both of these places, despite one being very poor, despite one having everything they could ever want, is there were hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people there who needed Jesus. There were lost people in both places. And I would say this morning, what we're going to see from Philip is that he is willing to, and I hope that we are willing to take the gospel any and everywhere, because I would say even here in the Bible Belt, in McDowell County with churches, it seems on every road, People in McDowell County need the gospel as much as the most godless country in the world. People here need Jesus just as much as, as people in countries where he's never been talked about before. That's not changed. Your boss maybe need, needs Jesus. Your neighbor, the person who's coming to your mind right now that you work with, perhaps they need Jesus, and they need the gospel. And I'm going to be truthful with you this morning. I'm not an evangelist by nature. So like my spiritual gifting is not to be an evangelist and share the gospel. I have to, I have to kind of force myself at times to, to get out of my bubble to do that. But in the last few weeks, and then in particularly when I was preparing this message not too long ago, God was working in me and convicting me that if the gospel message, if I believe it to be true, that it changes lives, it changes relationships, it changes marriages, and ultimately it changes eternal destinies. If I believe that to be true, I am called to share it. And God began doing this work in me, and I hope that through that he began stirring in you what Paul wrote in, what Paul wrote in Romans 1, 16. He says, for I am not ashamed of what? The gospel. For it is the power of of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So I'm going to say this morning, this, this message is simple. There's nothing complex about what I'm about to say. And in my preparation, I pray that God would use this passage to speak to us however he must because it is very straightforward. And all throughout the book of Acts and up until this point in our study of the book of Acts, we've seen there's one common theme. The gospel goes where we take it and it changes the lives of those we take it to. The gospel goes where we take it, and it changes the lives of those we take it to. And if you've been changed by the gospel, if you've been changed by Jesus, we're going to see, uh, uh, hear a message this morning of an event that took place, this description of what took place, but it carries some truths of what we must then take and use in our own lives. And, and I'll say, if you don't know Jesus this morning, I'm glad you're here. And Grace Community Church, those of us who are part of God's family are glad that you're here, and we want nothing more than for you to come to faith even this morning. 
So we're going to start the last part of the book of Acts. We see the gospel begins breaking these barriers. And Philip has just preached in Samaria. Picture Haiti. He just preached in Samaria, and now God has called him to this specific short-term mission trip that he's sending him on. And he has a specific call and mission for Philip to, to serve and share the gospel. So we've got three truths this morning. They're very simple. The first one is this. God calls. God calls. There are two times in this passage that God gives Philip this, these specific instructions. The first, the first is to go south near Gaza. A desert place, it says, some manuscripts say around noon. It says, go there, which is about 50 miles from where Philip had just been. It's interesting, though, that the Lord does not tell him what he's going to be doing when he gets there. Very similar to Genesis 12 when, when uh, God tells Abram, go, and I'll tell you what you're going to do when you get there. God tells Philip, he says, just, just go. And Philip didn't argue with God or attempt to rationalize what seems reasonable. He was in tune enough with the spirit that he trusted God would tell him what to do next. So he goes south to Gaza. And that's on his way to Africa, and it's not far from the African continent. And when he gets to Gaza, he discovers this high-ranking court official. This high-ranking court official of Ethiopia. The Ethiopian nation at the time was kind of north-central Africa, maybe a little bit east. And this nation was fairly powerful. And, and this person that he actually comes across, that Philip actually comes across, is the secretary of the treasury. He's in charge of all of the funds of the nation of Ethiopia. And the text says he had come to Jerusalem to worship. From that, we gather either he was a Jew or most likely he was a Jewish convert who had headed back to Jerusalem to one of the religious festivals, and now he is heading back home. And then that's when we see the second call of Philip. God tells him to run up to his chariot. So Philip ran up to him. Now, if you've been in church for any length of time, you might know this story, and it's easy to just read it and be like, yeah, Philip, God called him to go south 50 miles, and he went south, and then he runs up to this random chariot. But let's not lose sight of what's actually happening here. Picture me right now getting in my car, driving all the way to Hickory, going through a drive through sadly not Chick-fil-A because they're not open, but going through a drive through and I hear out of the microphone of the drive through someone listening to a sermon, and out of that, I pull up beside them and say, hey, I heard you listening to a sermon. Do you want me to tell you what it means? That's what happens. By the way, if that ever happens to you, that's your opportunity to share Jesus. Like, you've got to take it right then. But that's what he does. He walks up to this chariot after not driving but, but heading south. We don't know how he got there, 50 miles. And he goes up to this chariot, and he hears this, he hears this Ethiopian eunuch speaking the words of the prophet Isaiah. And he begins to talk to him. And he says, do you, do you understand what, you, what you're reading? which makes us get to this this morning. The, the call of God doesn't always make sense. The call of God doesn't always make sense. If we're available, we will be asked to do things outside of reason at times. But God has a specific and designated purpose for us in that time and in that place. A few years ago, and, and many of you will remember this, we, we had uh, someone in our church, it was a student, and he tragically died. And when he did, I remember um, heading to, the, to McDowell High School on Monday morning, first thing, and I was going to be available to just 
talk with anybody. And I remember later that morning, there were several, several, several hundred students that, and, and faculty and teachers and, and administrators gathered around the, the, the McDowell High School Rock. And I remember being there and, and I was asked to just kind of share with them, to, to thank them for their, for their, their uh, involvement with the family and for being there for the family at the time. So that's what I did. I got up there and said, thank you guys um, for all of your love and support. And in that moment, I remember specifically God saying, Adrian, you need to share Jesus right now. And I remember specifically in my mind saying no. Like, I, like I've never really had an internal battle with God. I usually am like, you know, God's in charge. Whatever he says, I'll do. In that moment, though, I did not feel that. I thought, no, this ain't the time and the place. So I kind of get done, and I remember stepping back and thinking I'm done, and, and it was just another internal call right here that says, Adrian, you have more people captive right now to hear the gospel. Share it. And I specifically right then, I don't remember anything I said for the subsequent 10 to 15 minutes, but I remember the verse, Romans 8.32, came to my mind that says, if God will not spare his son, how will he not also give us all things? And from that, I remember sharing maybe 10, 12, 15 minutes, the gospel message with students and teachers. And if I'm not mistaken, I think several people came to faith in Jesus that day. Now, I share that not to say, oh, Adrian, look at what you did. No, because I wouldn't want to share a story where I told God no. But here's the thing, it did not make sense to me to right then in that moment talk about Jesus. Though you're like, actually it should have, but it didn't to me. Because that to me didn't seem like the time and the place, but God was calling me to do that very thing. And if we are obedient, God is at times going to call us to do things that we do not expect or that we think are unreasonable. But what happens when Philip is willing to follow where God calls him, he finds, he finds someone who is searching for answers and who is searching for truth, and he has the truth and the answers and the hope to give that person. And in 2020, there are people who are searching, searching. I've talked with many people who seem to be nervous, worried, or afraid because of what this year has brought out. And guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the truth and the answers to give them. You have the one thing. They might, need, they might need things in their life physically. Let's take care of that. They may need things in their life emotionally. Let's take care of that. But as a follower of Jesus, you have the one thing that you can offer them that will change not just their life, but change their eternity. People all around us are looking for peace and security, and we have that to give them. So my question to you is this. If God calls, will you be ready? Will you be ready to share the gospel with your neighbor? Is God potentially calling you to, to move you and your family overseas? It may not seem reasonable, but will you be ready to go where God calls? Because God has not stopped calling women and men just like he called Philip. So God calls, and the second thing we see this morning is this, we share. Look at what happens next. Philip's been called, and now he's, he's around someone who's searching for truth. And he hears this man reading a passage from Isaiah. And he knows, and, and, and he asks, he says, hey, do you know what you're reading? And the, the Ethiopian says, how can, I, how can I know unless somebody, somebody tells me? And I just want to say that the passage that this guy was reading, like it kind of lofted Philip a softball. It couldn't have gotten any better because he's reading Isaiah. Listen to what he was actually reading. Like a sheep he was led to slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. 
In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. From that passage, we, Philip begins to share, hey, what's actually happening is that passage is talking about a man named Jesus who just died and resurrected not too long ago. And in this, we see God's sovereignty and his providence that you have a man who is searching for truth. You have a man who is searching for an answer after he had just spent time at a religious festival. He didn't seem to find what he was looking for at that festival, but he comes upon somebody who can share the hope of Jesus with him. And that's what Philip does. Shares it from the Old Testament, which makes us realize this. There's going to be three things within this point that I want us to see, that all of Scripture is about Jesus. All of Scripture is about Jesus. The idea of a suffering servant was strange to the Jews. The Jews didn't think that the Messiah, the one who would come to save them, would actually suffer. They thought that the Messiah would come and take over the Romans and establish Israel as a great nation again. And Philip shares the good news of Jesus through an Old Testament passage. In the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24, a couple of disciples are on the road to Emmaus and Jesus shows up with them. They don't know that it's Jesus, and this is post-resurrection, and, and they don't recognize him. And Jesus says, hey, why do y'all seem so down? And, and they said, hey, do, you, do you not know what's happened in Jerusalem recently? I mean, they're talking to the guy that just got crucified and resurrected, and they don't, they don't recognize him. And, and they don't know that they're with Jesus. And then this is what Jesus says. It says in Luke 24, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. From Genesis on, the Bible is about Jesus. All of the Old Testament leads up to the coming of Jesus. The Gospels tell of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And from Acts through Revelation, the Bible points back to Jesus. All of Scripture, all of, of our existence points to Jesus. But we see something else that Philip does when he shares and something we must do. And that is this. The Gospel is a verbal declaration. If you, if you write that down and take notes, you need to underline or circle the word verbal. The gospel is a verbal declaration. And here's why I say that. We have never, ever been called to what's known as lifestyle evangelism. Through my life, someone will hear the gospel. No, through your words, someone will hear the gospel. Now, I'll say this. The word gospel literally means to, to shout, to tell, or to speak you don't show the good news, you tell it. If I walk out of a restaurant and it's a new restaurant, if you know me, you know that I love eating, love eating new food and love eating lots of new food. And here's what's going to happen if I walk out of a restaurant. You might be able to see that my shirt seems a little tight, but you're only going to hear how good the meal was if what? If I tell you. You're only going to hear how good the meal was if I tell you. Philip told him the good news. The word foretold in the King James is preached and that word is used for evangelize. Now to clarify something here, we've never been called to share the gospel by our lifestyle, but our gospel declaration will only be valid if our lives match the Jesus we declare. What we say will only be valid if people see our lives lived out, but people will not hear the gospel through our lives only. We must tell the gospel. And we see the third thing is this, evangelism is highly relational. Now this one's inferred. But it's based on experience and it's, it's based on talking with many, many people. But we see here that Philip doesn't just run up to the Ethiopian and start shouting to him. 
what he must do. It's, he goes up and tries to make a connection with the man. He, as some, even for a small period of time, tries to, tries to build a relationship with him. And I'm not saying what we call cold call evangelism is not useful, where you just walk up to some random person and share Jesus. Do that. But I would say that the best form or way to share Jesus and to evangelize the people is through the relationships that we already have built with someone. Because it's through those relationships with your neighbor or your coworker that you then begin to hear about the issues that they are facing in life and the things that, that they seem to struggle with. And it's through those things that you can then show how Jesus is the answer to those things. Evangelism is, is highly relational. I have the opportunity right now to lead the uh, uh, leadership cohort here at our church. And we just got done, a group of men and I just got done reading this book called Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. And the whole premise of the book seems to be about, hey, in the relationships that you already have built, share Jesus. As you're living your day-to-day -day life, talking to people, opening up to people, Share Jesus. The message we share is a verbal declaration about Jesus, and it's best done, I believe, relationally. And then what happens? We get to the exciting part. The third truth this morning is this. God saves. God saves. God calls. We share. God saves. After Philip shared the good news of Jesus, we, we don't know exactly what he said or what the treasury secretary said, but apparently he responded to Christ in a way that, real, that Philip realized he needed to be baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch court official said, hey, what hinders me from being baptized? And apparently he responded to Christ positively and they took him down to the water and Philip baptized him. Now, baptism is an outward expression of this inward reality. And then when the court official was baptized and had given his life to Christ, it says he went away what? Rejoicing. He went away rejoicing, full of joy, because when God saves someone, there is joy. Because what had been a sinful, dreadful life with no hope is now a life forgiven of sin with a hope for eternity. You see, this is such a big deal that Luke 15 tells us that heaven throws a party for every sinner that is saved. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 15, 3 through 7. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one, does not leave the 99 to, in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. And listen to what Jesus says in verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Heaven celebrates every time someone gives their life to Jesus and is forgiven of their sin. I had a, a seminary professor who would often, this man was an evangelism machine, and he, he would say this. Every time he would lead somebody to Christ, he would say, hey, he'd get real quiet and he said, do you hear that? That person's like, no, I don't hear anything. And he was like, I just hear angels shouting right now. You know, and every time he would tell that story, I was like, I'm going to share Jesus with everybody. I've got to do it today because heaven throws a party every time someone comes to faith. But I want to make something very clear here that just because you share Jesus doesn't mean somebody's going to get saved. If you share Jesus, that doesn't mean somebody's going to get saved. That's thankfully up to God. We're called to share it with clarity and called to share it boldly. 
But somebody getting saved is up to God. But I'll say this, the only way someone will get saved is if we do share. The saving is up to God, but the way they're going to hear about the gospel is if we share it. And thankfully, salvation is simple. The gospel message is not this convoluted message. The gospel message is simple. You're a sinner destined to hell. Jesus stepped in, paid the penalty, forgave your sin, and now you can live new. Salvation is simple. Jesus died for your sin, and he is Lord. And what's so amazing about it is it transcends all barriers. Just as Philip had preached to the rough and dangerous Samaritans in the first part of Acts 8, he then goes to preach to the sophisticated wealthy headed back to his, his position in his country. The gospel saves ordinary citizens, it saves rough around the edges people, and it saves intellectual seekers. The gospel knows no boundaries geographically, socioeconomically. The gospel transcends all of those things. And this is one more case of the gospel advancing far beyond what Philip would have ever thought or imagined. We will never know the impact of our gospel sharing until potentially one day when we're in heaven. But Philip's listening to the Spirit, and it led him to share the gospel. And then church historians believe that this Ethiopian went and planted the first church ever on the continent of Africa through one man willing to share the gospel with him. It reminds me of a story of this evangelist in the early to mid-20th century. He was known for preaching very loudly and very boldly, and, and at times he would even say things that rub people the wrong way, and honestly, we probably wouldn't have some of the same views that this man had today, but he traveled around preaching at various places all over the Southeast. And in the, he was what, what I think I would call Christian famous in the early 1900s. Christians knew about him and other people kind of knew about him as well. But, but if I were to tell you about him today, you, you may or may not know his name, but in 1934, something happened. He was, in, he was going around preaching revivals and he preached a revival in Charlotte. And back in the day, the way that you heard about this is people would go out and put up flyers and, and then people would come to this revival meeting and he, he was preaching a revival in Charlotte in 1934 and there was a young man that heard the gospel, responded and was converted and then began a life of obedience to God that led him to become the greatest evangelist since the apostle Paul. And you know him as who? Billy Graham. We know tons about Billy Graham. You can, if you go to his Wikipedia page right now, you're going to scroll on your phone for a long, long time. Books have been written about him. People have studied his methods of preaching and evangelizing, and people have even crafted their own preaching style to his because he preached to lost people so clearly. He didn't just hold revival meetings in the Bible Belt. Billy Graham preached 417 crusades in 185 countries around the world. And according to his website, Billy Graham preached live to 210 million people, not including anyone who watched on TV, and that number then rises to 2.2 billion. An estimated 2.2 million people at his crusades responded to give their lives to Christ. Presidents and world leaders would seek him out. At his funeral just several years back, it was shown on every major news media outlet in the country and around the world. But only if you know much about Billy Graham have you ever heard of a man named Mordecai Ham, which was the man 
who preached the gospel the day that Billy Graham got saved. I say that to, to simply say this. When you share the gospel with someone, Mordecai Ham did not know that there was a man sitting out there under the sound of his voice that was then going to go take the gospel to billions of people. He was just obedient to do what God had called him to do. And if we're going to see our families, our county, our state, our nation, and the world change, it's going to be because we are obedient to God's call to take the gospel to those people right around us. I heard this said years ago, and I don't know how true it is exactly, but it was some stats that were done several years back, and it said it takes up to seven people to share the gospel with one person before they finally come to faith in Jesus. And my, what has convicted me about that since I heard it 10 or 12 years ago is I want to make sure I may not be the seventh person who leads them to Christ, but I may be the fifth. I may be the one next step that they need to get closer to Jesus. So I would ask you these questions this morning. If you are lost and you do not know Jesus in this room, like this Ethiopian court official said, what hinders you from being saved and baptized? What hinders you this morning from being baptized? Right after the service is over, I'll hang out down here at the front, and if you want to give your life to Christ, come find me. Second question is this, what or who is the short-term or even long-term mission trip that God is calling you to? Is there someone that you can think of right now that God is saying, I've got to share with them? I already have a relationship established with them, or you know what, I don't have one, but that person, I can't get off of my mind, and I've got to establish a relationship with them to share Jesus with them. Or has God even begun to call you and your family to, to go somewhere and to, to, to take your life somewhere to, as, a, as a full-time missionary, even somewhere overseas? Has God called you to do that? God is still calling people just like he called, to, called Philip. Have you prayed about that? Are you open to that? And then the last one is this. Have you thought about the exponential impact you could have by sharing the gospel with one person? Now, I want to say this. Sharing the gospel with one person and them coming to faith in Christ is enough for heaven to throw a party. But if there's not enough motivator there, have you thought of what God could do through you and your obedience if you simply share the gospel with the person that's coming to your mind right now? Because guess what? God calls, you and I then share, and we pray and hope that God saves Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that it is living and active. And God, you use your word in our lives. But Jesus, you also use us to speak your word and share the gospel with people who need you. I pray this morning if there is a lost person in the room who doesn't know you, someone in the room that... Maybe they're just, they're, they have questions about you, Jesus, that they would respond and, and want to know more about giving their life to you or want to just know more about you, Jesus. I pray that they would in some capacity. Lord, I pray that if you are calling people in this room to, to share with their neighbor or calling them to, to go on a short-term mission trip or even calling them to move their lives, I pray that you would begin to call people to do that and confirm that call among your people. And Jesus, I pray that you would Send us wherever you must because we have a, a gospel far too great and a mission far too strong to, to not share. And then, Jesus, I pray that you would then take our obedience and use it, if anything, to change us. But ultimately, we want to see lost people come to faith in you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen.